Well, this live stream is just one part of our Sunday worship gathering here at City Temple. If you'd like to join us via Zoom for our whole service, or even here at the City Temple, please email us at info at city-temple.com for all of the information that you will need. We're privileged and we're delighted to hear once again Pastor Rod preach from his series, Ancient Words for a New Day. Well, if you have your Bible with you, let's turn to Isaiah 55 and also to Hebrews chapter 11. In Isaiah 55, we'll start reading from verse 6 down to the end. And in uh, Hebrews 11, we'll read the first six verses. Before we do, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the Bible. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray, Lord, in the power of your spirit, that you would speak to us today through the words of scripture. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me to bring your word to your people boldly and faithfully through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Isaiah writes, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the horn, the thorn rather, shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And then to Hebrews chapter 11. Starting with verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I, I've just felt a, 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 just an increasing sense of urgency in my spirit uh, over the last few weeks uh, with the various words that I've uh, been preaching, uh, and, but also with the various things that are happening in our world. We are in the midst of a great shift globally. Uh, and we've been in the midst of the shift, by the way, for quite some time, but uh, it's picking up pace, uh, and we are going to continue to see some significant things happen in the coming years. And why this is so perilous for us at this time is like we were saying last week, that truth has failed in the public squares, and conspiracies and conspiracy theories are rife throughout our society. And furthermore, people are trying to find their way, but what they're trying to do is to, as the text said last week, walk by the light of their own torches. And God said, if you try to walk by the light of your own torch, in other words, if you try just by yourself to understand what is going on and to understand how to live your life and you use just your own reason or maybe the latest little self-help book that tends to come along uh, or the latest YouTube video or whatever that ultimately <clears throat> God says that people will lie down in torment. And that is what we're seeing. Uh, especially amongst Christians. And I'm seeing just an escalation in the stories of leaders who have been walking by the light of their own torches, whose families are falling apart, whose faith is falling apart, churches where this is happening. But I'm, I'm telling you, it's happening in homes and families uh, and Christians all across the world, but especially in the United States and Europe and perhaps Australia. We're living in a global season where life has changed now irreversibly, where the global order has become completely unsettled. You can see that in what is happening around Afghanistan and where the global economy has fractured. We're not talking about globalism so much anymore. Uh, we're talking about troubled supply lines. And we're seeing that here in the UK, uh, but we're seeing that all around the globe. And we're living in a time where fewer and fewer people, especially people in leadership, can think strategically, where they can have a wide-ranging perspective, where they can see the forest without getting lost and focused on a particular tree. And what happens is, when a society lacks this, and it's true in the church, it's true in our governments, when societies lack this kind of thinking, then it leads to short-term thinking that ends up causing 
long-term problems. You can see it in individual people's lives when they max out their credit cards, thinking, well, I, I should be able to pay for this eventually, and then they end up losing their job, and they end up going into bankruptcy and having all kinds of problems. But you can see it even in government. I'll give you three quick examples all about transport. I mean, think about diesel cars. 20 years ago, the government was saying, buy diesel cars. And when I heard the government saying that, I'm thinking, why are you saying that? Diesel cars pollute more. But they were just focused on one thing, CO2 emissions. They weren't focused on particulates and other things. And now there's a penalty for those who own diesel cars, and they're being phased out quickly. You see it in the low-traffic neighborhoods that have sprung up all over London here recently. I read an article just a couple of days ago where ambulance crews were finding it difficult to respond to calls because of all the street closures that have happened all around London. And we don't know how many lives have been lost so far, but we know that it's starting to happen. We do know, for example, that lives have been lost in the third example, called smart motorways, which were turning out not quite as smart as all. After all, opening up the hard shoulder for traffic to go down, but we know that there have been quite a few deaths now because of these so-called smart motorways, deaths that otherwise would have been averted. And I could go on for a long time talking about giving examples of the kind of short-term thinking that people are engaging in, and they're doing that in their, in their own lives. They're doing that in how they, they do their jobs or how they think about their personal life. Churches are doing this. It's, it's all over. We're li living in a season where the United States has now lost its moral authority, a moral authority that had largely come from the gospel and from the biblical order of the American government has now lost that, has set it aside, and has sacrificed any prospect of global leadership anytime in the near future. We live in a season where churches have compromised with the spirit of the age, and many churches trade platitudes and politics for the power of the gospel to change lives. Now, I know that sounds kind of edgy and a bit prophetic, and I guess it is in that sense. But I want you to understand that we must not be angry, and, uh, and that's always the risk. You know, you could kind of sound kind of angry, uh, and I don't want to sound that way, because I'm not. We must not live in fear or anxiety. I'm not afraid and I'm not anxious about the times that we're living in because I rejoice and we need to rejoice in the sovereignty of God because God is sovereign in ways that we don't see or understand. We've seen that in what he's done so far in terms of the building development, how God has been carefully putting things in place to enable something to happen for the church.
And we need to remember that God in the Bible has told us already that these things are going to happen. There's nothing that we're seeing that in some way, shape, or form hasn't been predicted by the scriptures. That gives me a lot of hope. I know if God saw this, you know, there's nothing that happens that surprises God. There's nothing that happens that threatens God. There's nothing that happens that's beyond the wisdom of God. God is God, and we are God's people. The church is God's promise for the earth. We have an eternal destiny. We must, as Christians, as God's people, live positively and full of hope, hope in Jesus Christ, especially at this time. But the question comes, how do we do that? We need to see that the times we're living in actually are nothing new. People in the Bible have lived through times like the times we're living in now. Look at Isaiah. Isaiah was living in a society, living in a world where things were crumbling, where things were changing, and he's speaking the word of God to God's people even while some things around him seemed to be falling apart. He was living in a time of turmoil where the land, in the words of the text we read today, just seemed to produce thorns and briars. It didn't seem to be fruitful. It seemed to be incredibly difficult. And so we need to listen to these words, these ancient words, spoken by the prophet Isaiah for us as we live today. And Isaiah in this passage, he gives us a command, he sets forth a condition, and then he gives us some things for our consideration, promises, if you will, that we can live by. First of all, it's the command. What does Isaiah say? He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Now the idea here is that you need to take time and care and effort to find the Lord. A lot of times in our lives as Christians, it's like we, we like wait around and say, well, maybe God will talk to me today. Well, if you're like that, you will seldom hear God. You need to be going after God. You need to be pursuing Him. You need to be talking to Him. You need to be asking Him, seeking after Him, wanting to know Him. Now, over the years, uh, sometimes I, I'll get criticized because uh, I don't go out a lot. Uh, I don't, I'm not one of those visiting pastors. I, I grew up in a time where a lot of pastors, what they do, They'd spend their days going door to door, seeing different people, and I, I could never do that. I was never gifted that way. But I always made it a, a point to make myself available for people who want to come to me, who want to seek after me. And I've given a lot of time to a lot of people 
over the years. But some people get upset because I don't seek after them when actually you need to come and seek after me. Now, I'm not saying I'm God here, by the way, but kind of the idea is similar. Don't just expect God to pop in and show up. Go seeking for him, looking after, inquire after him. Because we need revelation from God. And sometimes God will hide himself from us. It's like hide and go see. So we need the revelation from God, and we need to be seeking God while he may be found. And by the way, we are in a time where God may be found. We are in a time where God may be found. Call on him. Call out to him. Go after him while he is near. Now, obviously, God's always near, right? God's always with us. There's no place that we go where God's not there, but we don't always sense his presence. We don't always sense his nearness. But let me tell you, God is near right now. And the time is, is there from time to time when he's not. But he is near now. We are in a time of openness and grace with the Lord if we will seek him while he may be found and call on him while he is near. Now that's the command. That's the command. And I'll talk in a bit about how we can, ways that we can start fulfilling that command. But there is a condition. There is a condition. If we want to fulfill the command, we must meet this condition. Otherwise, if we don't meet this condition, we will fail in fulfilling the command. That's the condition. What is it? Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous forsake his thoughts. In other words, the condition is that we repent. We repent. Now remember what repentance is. It's saying, confessing that something is wrong, turning away from it, and turning toward what is right. Confessing that something is wrong, acknowledging that which is wrong, turning away from it, and going after what is right. And to repent here, God says two things. Let the wicked first forsake his way. Now way, whenever you read way in the scripture, especially in prophetic or poetic literature, it almost always is talking about how you live, the things you do. And so what, uh, what God's saying here is stop doing anything that is opposite to God's character. That's what wickedness is. Don't do anything that is contrary to the, to the character of God. So if you act meanly towards somebody, God's good, so you've, you've acted wickedly. It's something that, it's behavior that is twisted. It's behavior that is not quite right. And so if you are wicked, if you're acting in a wicked way, then you need to forsake it. In other words, stop doing it. Just stop it. 
And it's amazing. There's a lot of things that we can stop doing if we really want to stop doing them. A lot of sinful activities. I don't think I have to list them because then somebody would think that I'm picking on them. And then you, you kind of think, well, he left out this sin and this sin, so that must be his sin. You know? You get that a lot. Uh, you get that a lot. Anyway. So let the wicked forsake his way, but let the unrighteous forsake his thoughts. And frankly, this is a bigger issue for a lot of people. You know, a lot of us Christians... We can stop doing wicked things pretty easily, but it's those unrighteous thoughts that can easily trip us up. And we need to stop what uh, a guy named Randy Clark used to call stinking thinking. Especially, it's especially thinking which affects our relationships. That's what righteousness is about. Righteousness is about right relationship. Right relationship with God and right relationship with other people. So if you start thinking, you know, God doesn't really love me. Oh, this other Christian is better than I am. Do you know that's unrighteous thoughts? Because it violates your relationship with God who has said, you're my beloved child. And my son Jesus died for you. We got to stop it. We got to forsake those unrighteous thoughts. And oftentimes, these are thoughts that will come from the world, the flesh, or the devil. Right now, the world is bombarding us with indoctrination. A lot of the, the whole movement, to, to the whole cancel culture movement, is about indoctrinating people for what they can or cannot say. There's a lot of labels that are being applied to people. You can be called racist or homophobic or, or some other kind of phobic. And you know what the label does? It's simply an attempt to control you, indoctrinate you, indoctrinate you into a different way of living or thinking. And we have to be very, very careful because the world right now is bombarding us. The media is bombarding us. The news is bombarding us. Others around us are bombarding us. It's happening all around us. And we have to be careful of what's emerging out of that sinful aspect of our humanity called the flesh. A lot of the junk thoughts that we have come out of our flesh. You know, lustful thoughts, greedy thoughts, covetous thoughts. I want more, I want more. You know, we tend to, a lot of Christians tend to focus on uh, uh, sexual sins. But you know, God takes a lot more seriously seri sins of greed and covetousness. And a lot of us have oriented our lives to acquisition, ac uh, acquiring more stuff acquiring more things. Now, it's not wrong to buy something. But so often we're living in greed, and a lot of times that comes out of the flesh or out of, come out of uh, advertising. And of course, there's the devil. He's around all the time. 
trying to bombard you with thoughts to make you do something contrary to the will of God. And, and Satan doesn't have to get you to act. All he has to do is gum up your thinking with negative demonic thoughts so that you have a struggle thinking differently. One of the big ways he does this is through anxiety and fear. So if you're struggling with anxiety and fearful thoughts, many times, not all the time, but many times, it's a demonic attack against you, and you need to stand up against it. So we must repent, and we must be re consistently repenting. When these thoughts come up, just grab hold of them and cast them out. Uh, or if you're kind of, you know, a modern person, just swipe right or swipe left, whatever you have to do. But get the thoughts out of your mind. And you can do that because you're in control of it by the Spirit of God. So the condition is that we repent. And when we repent, to meet this condition, we have to repent with the confidence that, as Isaiah says, God will have compassion and God will abundantly pardon us. Once you repent, it always works because of the cross of Christ. Jesus has paid the price. God is here to abundantly pardon. He will show compassion on you. God knows your weakness. God knows your sin tendencies. God knows your struggles. And his desire is not to punish. His desire is to pardon. But so many of us try to walk by the light of our own torches, live by the way we like to order and think our lives through, that we end up lying down in torment instead of experiencing the blessings of God's pardon and compassion. So we repent with confidence that God will have compassion I mean, compassion, the idea is such a great word in the Hebrew. It's something that comes out of the deepest part of the depths of your being. This is like, oh, gosh, that's, that's how God feels about you. That kind of love that comes out of the core of who he is as God. That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him. While he, may, while he is near, but be sure, forsake your wicked ways and forsake your unrighteous thoughts. Repent of those because God wants to pardon you and show you compassion. Now, why would we do this? Why is this so important? Why should we fulfill the command and the condition? Well, here we get to the considerations. And these considerations in the word of Hebrews requires faith. Hebrews says, you know, and it takes faith to please God. And if you want to please God by faith, you've got to believe that he exists and that, what does he do? He rewards those who seek him. God rewards those who seek him. And so these considerations require our faith, that we believe that what the Bible says is true, and we believe this truth about God. And there's four considerations here 
in Isaiah's text. The first consideration is a reminder that God's ways and God's thoughts are vastly higher than our ways and our thoughts. You know, so often the world tells us, oh, you shouldn't save so much money. The world says, go into debt. The world says, oh, don't waste your money on giving to the people of God. You know, keep it for yourself or give something, give another way. And a lot of times, you know, these things sound good, but they're not. They seem to make sense, but they don't because they're not biblical. And in those moments, it's really hard. Right now, there are a lot of marriages that are on the edge of falling apart. Maybe some that are listening to this message uh, online. There are a lot of marriages that are on the edge of falling apart because one or the other or both of the people in that marriage are, are listening to their friends say, oh, it's okay, dump your spouse. It's okay, the kids won't hurt that bad. It won't be so bad for them. Uh, you'll be better off if you do. Uh, you know, my cousin Mildred was happier when she did this, uh, and so on and so forth. And it sounds good, and it sounds right, but it's wrong. And the only way that you can choose to do the right thing is to recognize that God's ways are higher than your ways, and God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's a long way. That's a long way. And you have to trust God. I thank God that I had a mother who taught me that lesson. And she taught me that lesson not by sitting me down and telling me that lesson. She taught me that lesson over a 55-year marriage where she showed faithfulness and God showed so many promises and fulfilled so many promises over her life. See, that's the problem. Remember that short-term thinking? So often we get deceived into thinking the short-term way is the best way, and it almost never is. So that's the first consideration. God knows what's best, and God can achieve what's best, even when it doesn't seem the best to us. And we have to believe that. The second consideration is effectively what God says, you know, as my word goes forth and doesn't, you know, as the rain goes forth and waters and does all that stuff, so my word will go forth. In other words, God's word shall accomplish what he intends it to accomplish. So when you seek the Lord and the Lord speaks to you, and it really is the Lord speaking to you, you can be confident that his word will accomplish its purpose. Not only the biblical text, but also the prophetic word that God speaks to you, how he's leading, if it's really from the Lord, God will accomplish his word. Now, if you haven't noticed, sometimes the journey of the rain is a long journey and can take a long time. But it will accomplish what God intends. Then the third consideration First, God's ways, God's thoughts 
are vastly higher than ours. The second is God's word will accomplish what God purposes. And by the way, no one can stop that from happening. No one, not even you, can thwart that. God's word will accomplish what he purposes. The third thing is God will lead us into joy and peace if we allow him. You shall be led forth in joy, the text says. You shall go out in shalom. Shalom is the word meaning well-being. It's not just the absence of conflict, it's well-being. And so the promise, the consideration here, is not only are God's ways higher than ours, not only will God accomplish what he purposes, what he intends to do, but in doing so, God will lead us out in joy and in peace. We will know joy and we will know shalom if we will allow him to lead us. And even the creation itself will rejoice. Do you know why the creation is under so much groaning right now through pollution and and all the, the, the climate change and all the problems we have, it's because of human sinfulness. It's because we've not allowed God to lead us as human beings. And consequently, the planet has paid the price for that. But the promise is that if we seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him, allow him to speak to us, that he will lead us forth in joy and in peace. Not immediately necessarily, but eventually. There are so many times in my life, I remember I went through a time of two years of very serious testing about 23 years ago or so before I came here. It was an incredibly intense time. I wouldn't ever want to repeat it. Again, it took about two years. Uh, I just can't even describe it. But I can remember the day when it all broke and God fulfilled his word and he led me out in joy and in peace. And it was such a day. It was in the month of December in the year 2000. I can remember the time. You shall go out in joy. You'll be led forth in joy and in peace. That's the third consideration. The final deals around with, you know, the thorn and the briar. Instead of the thorn and the briar, we'll pop up these other, the myrtle and and the like. And it's basically saying here that God will take the difficulties and the difficult times and bring good. But God will bring good for the sake of his name. Yes, God will do you good just because God loves to do good to you. But we need to understand that ultimately God does good for the sake of his name. Now, by the way, that should encourage you. Because if God only does good to you because you deserve it or you've been a good little boy or girl, kind of like Santa Claus does, then that means if you're a bad little boy or girl, God wants to smite you, make you like crispy bacon. But God's not that way. 
God intends to do good and to bring good, not because we deserve it, because God wants to demonstrate to the universe that he is good. It's for the sake of his name that he does these things. Well, we need to understand he doesn't take the difficulties away. Isaiah is prophesying this, and yet the people were still going to go into exile for 70 years. So understand, there can be a very difficult season, even like the season that we're going through, but the people of God who listened to God during that difficult season were people who thrived, even in the midst of those difficulties. And that's the promise for us as well. So how do we fulfill that command to seek the Lord while he may be found? You know, obviously we have to repent, especially considering your thought life. You need to be doing this constantly. I mean, I'm a, I'll be walking down the street and, uh, and maybe I'll see somebody and they, they tick a box in my mind that, you know, a sinful box in my mind that says, oh, I, I don't really like what that person is doing. You know, that's judgmentalism. That's sin. And so what I do? Immediately. I don't wait. Immediately I say, God, I'm sorry. Man, I am sorry that that junk is in my mind. I repent of that, and I ask you to help me to love every person like you love them, and I choose to love that person right now. That's repentance. You do that moment by moment as you live, and you keep walking free from sinful ways and especially from sinful thoughts. The way we fulfill the command too, we got to have faith in God and his goodness. And a third way we can fulfill that command to seek the Lord while he may be found is to hang out where God hangs out. And frankly, a lot of people don't hang out where God hangs out. Where does God hang out? Well, Jesus says, wherever two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. God hangs out with his people. Now, he hangs out in other places too. But God hangs out with his people. And many times we don't hear the Lord because we're not seeking the Lord because we don't happen to go to where the Lord happens to be hanging out. That makes sense. And of course, the Lord's Supper is a great illustration of God hanging out with us. Of course, we need to read the Bible. It's, it's God's, uh, the God-breathed word of God given to us. If you don't read the Bible, you will have no ability to discern when it's God talking to you as opposed to when it's the devil talking to you or when it's your own flesh talking to you. Right now, we live in a time where I would estimate about 60%, if not more, of the prophetic words that I hear about and I read in publications, I look at that and I say, you know, that's not a prophecy from God. That's the person's own thinking. It's coming out of their flesh in some way, shape, or form. Now, obviously, I don't call them out because ultimately it's not my job to judge them, and I don't. But it is my responsibility to judge what they're saying and to discern it. Bible calls us to that. We also need to position to listen. You need to position yourself to hear God. You know, I can go 
Karen, Karen, where are you? But if I'm in a different building than she's in, I'm not, I can't, she can't hear me and I can't hear her. I need to put myself in a position where I can hear from my wife. In the same way, we have to put ourselves in a position, normally a position of quiet, with no media and no phones, where we can hear the Lord. Position to listen. And when we seek the Lord, if you want to hear from him, ask answerable questions. If you're always asking why, 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 90% of the time, you won't get an answer. And 9% of the rest of that time, you'll get an answer that you don't like. So don't waste your time with why questions. I think a good question is, Lord, what do I do now? What's the next three things I need to do? What do I need to do to change my mindset? To get out of an anxious mindset into an abundance mindset, for example. Ask God questions that you can get an answer for. And write down when God speaks to you. If you're going to seek the Lord, do him the courtesy of writing it down when you hear from him. Write it down as you're hearing it, not as you want it to be, and then allow the Lord to speak further. Of course, seeking the Lord while he may be found involves praying in all its different varieties from you know, worship to thanksgiving to praise to supplication to intercession. You know, all of these are ways that we seek the Lord. However we do it, we have a command. Seek the Lord while he may be found. You need to be seeking the Lord for your life right now. You need to be seeking the Lord for your work right now. You need to be seeking the Lord for your education. You need to be seeking the Lord for your family. You need to be seeking the Lord for the church. You need to be seeking the Lord because we are living in a time of great uh, uh, unsettledness, but we are living in a time of great grace when God can be found. And we need to be seeking the Lord, repenting as we go, knowing we have a God who's compassionate and who will abundantly pardon us. Let us refuse to walk by the light of our own torch, to try to live our lives by our own common sense alone. Nothing wrong with common sense when it's illuminated by God. Let us refuse to live by our own torch, but let us choose right now and every day to seek the Lord because he may be found today. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises to us. Thank you that despite the chaos and the challenges and the struggles that we're living in, that you are still God. You are in control. 
Thank you that we do not have to be bound up in anxiety and fear. Thank you that we can live our lives with boldness and confidence in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray that you would attend to us now as we go to the Lord's table. Let us encounter your presence here and wherever we're gathered in our homes over Zoom. Let us understand that you are here hanging out with us, that you are present at this table with us. And you've given us the tremendous privilege of being present with you. I thank you that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts than our thoughts. I thank you that your word will accomplish everything that you intend. I thank you that you will lead us out in joy and forth forward in peace in your shalom if we allow you to. I thank you that you intend to bring good for the sake of your name in our lives, in our churches, in our families. You are an amazing God, and we worship you and honor you, love you and surrender to you. And we do all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen.